Oh, how great was conference? It was so good, wasn't it? And I'm so excited to be talking about bringing justice and bringing Jesus tonight. And, you know, when I hear the words bring justice, honestly, the first thing I think of is like police work or superheroes. Um, (laughs) Police work, probably a little bit more real, you know, arresting, protecting people, superheroes, just a bit exciting. Oh, thank you. Woohoo! And a fun fact for you. I actually wanted to be a police officer as my backup plan to being a ballet dancer at 16. It was my backup plan. Um, I know Christina, my sister, and Emily both told me that I would be eaten alive and it wasn't a good idea. Um, I mean, I was 16 and scrawny and that's fine. But I think I mostly wanted to do it because I liked the crime shows, so not really about the real-life version of it. Um, And I liked the, you know, the suspense of you know, the innocent person's going to get caught, saved at the last minute and the bad guy always gets, you know, taken away. And I like them so much that Isaac and I actually started collecting NCIS DVDs when we were 16 and now I have to find somewhere to store 17 seasons of the show. Um, (laughs) But they did come in handy over 2020 lockdown. Um, And what also came in handy over last year's lockdown was uh, superhero movies. I've never really been a fan but mostly just because I never watched them. And so I think that's just the nature of living in a girl's home. And I have to say, I became a fan pretty quickly. Um, So much so that I watched enough to be able to go and see the newest Spider-Man movie by the end of the year. Who who watched it? Who watched it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, leave your hand up if um, it blew your mind. My hand's kind of down. But um, what about uh, if you clapped in the movie without, like, following the crowd? Like, you were just, you were keen. Okay. Who, who, left their, who can leave their hand up if you cried or could have cried in the movie? Okay, okay. See, I thought so. I thought so. Um, there was a deep emotional response from so many people. People were just talking about it and they were talking about it. And I was sitting there going... Yeah, it's good. It was a good movie, but I just don't think that I had the history to understand how much passion there was about this movie. And um, you know, they're probably true, but there was someone in the Bible who had a deep emotional response after a moment with Jesus, after just a moment with Jesus, a much more than crying in a movie version of response. And he only just met Jesus. But his identity was changed and his life was stirred to bring justice and to bring Jesus. He gave up his entire life and his entire focus of his life and completely turned it around to make a change. He didn't wait. He didn't give up. And he went from being a persecutor to being persecuted for the sake of Christ. And so we're going to read from Acts chapter 9 about Saul. And so it says, All this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples, that's Jesus, out for the kill. He went to the chief priest and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. He set off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down. 
I want you to get up and enter the city. In the city, you'll be told what to do next. His companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He continued there for three days. He ate nothing and drank nothing. And further down it says, So Ananias went and found the house and placed his hands on blind Saul and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me, the same Jesus you saw on the way here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner were these words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up to his feet and was baptised and sat down with them to a hearty meal. Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus disciples, but then went right to work, wasting no time, preaching in the meeting places that this Jesus was the Son of God. They were caught off guard by this and not sure that they could trust him. They kept saying, isn't this the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem among the believers? And didn't he come here to do the same thing, arrest us and drag us off to jail in Jerusalem for sentencing by the high priest? But their suspicions didn't slow Saul down for even a minute. His momentum was up now. He ploughed straight into opposition, disarming the Damascus Jews and trying to show them that Jesus was the Messiah. I love this story because Saul is completely transformed in a moment. And I'm actually going to refer to him as Paul um, because just a couple of chapters later in chapter 13, that's from then on, that's how he is known. And his life was completely shut down in that moment with God. I actually can't imagine having that sort of moment with God um, where you're walking along, you're on a mission and then suddenly you are literally blinded by God and hear him audibly. Like that's amazing. And Paul's eyes were fully closed in that moment. He became helpless. He had full vision beforehand. He thought he could see physically and he thought he knew what he wanted, status, fame, wealth, knowledge, righteousness fulfilled as he thought it should be but Jesus but Jesus he Jesus walked in and closed that identity off to him making him helpless weak and dependent on others but mostly on God during that time and you know he had to trust people he never met in that moment he had to rely on God for strength while he fasted he had to trust the hands being laid on him were hands that were sent by God to do God's work and not hands that were there to bring their own justice for the chaos he's caused elsewhere for the believers. Um, When Paul's eyes were opened, he had to choose to see the truth, to see what God was calling him to. He had to choose to believe what God was going to do in his life. When his vision was healed, his identity needed to be healed with it. He came with a choice to open his eyes, not just to see himself as the sinner Jesus called him out to be, but as the man of God Jesus was calling him to be. And so I think if you've ever had a moment where you've sat in a mirror and you look exactly the same, but it's, it's one of those moments in your life where you're like, something's different. And I can see it, even though I can't see it. 
And so maybe it's like your first day of a new job or it's the first day, maybe maybe it's on your wedding day, you've, you've just come out of the, the ceremony and you're going to the reception and you go into the bathroom and you're like, I'm married now or I'm going to go to this job now or I've just graduated high school or and you're like, something's, something's different. And I'm sure you could put your own version into that. And I just imagine Paul, after three days of completely being blind, opening up his eyes and having that first moment in his own reflection. This man was strong in his field. He was respected. But now he's standing in front of a mirror, seeing himself as though it was the first time again. His physical body would have looked exactly the same, but he now would have seen himself as a sinner, as someone who didn't deserve grace, yet received it anyway, and someone who did not follow God's true way, but was able to start to do that now. Can you imagine if Paul stayed in the guilt, though? Like, if he just had this incredible encounter with God, but God blinds him and speaks to him, and he just stays going, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sinner, I'm a loser, I'm horrible, I, I can't do anything, I, God's called me out and now I'm stuck here. That wouldn't be so good, <laughs> you know, because someone's stuck in I am nothing, even if they receive salvation, yes, that's awesome and God's going to, you know, love you and use your life but not in the same way as someone who goes, yes, God, what can you do in my life and how can I live for you now? And so we can actually see that Paul did have an identity shift because he responded. And it's in Acts chapter 9 verse 20 where it says he gets right to work, wasting no time, preaching in the meeting place that Jesus was the Son of God. You can see the different versions. One says, and immediately he went. And soon he went to the Jewish meeting places. And straight away he preached the gospel. Paul has an identity shift. He does. He allowed God to transform him and he continued to choose to see himself the way God saw him. And we see that through the way that he writes letters way further on in his life that are in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And to Timothy, Paul says, Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. From there, his whole outlook changed and was transformed. And it wasn't transformed so that Jesus could fit somewhere into the life that he already had. It was transformed so that his life reflected Jesus and that he would bring justice and bring Jesus as the goal of the everyday from that place. So what is the identity that changed in Paul? What what changed? Well, it's the two simple things. He knew he was chosen. This isn't a debate. And knowing you were chosen isn't a debate. If you have decided that Jesus is your best friend, the Lord of your life, the saviour of the universe, the one you're going to follow, then your life is chosen. You are chosen. Chosen for what? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. 
But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made from you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. You are part of God's plan. You, your life has a purpose. You are chosen. You actually can make a difference. And you're chosen to get right to work, wasting no time to preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus. And you don't need to actually feel qualified for this. I don't think Paul would have. You just need to know that you are empowered. And Jesus gives us the qualification. And it's really clear what you need, the requirements are for the qualification. John chapter 14, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, believe in me and you can do it. What do we need to do? Believe in him. Our empowerment doesn't come from positive thinking or being the smartest one in the room. It comes from heaven. You are chosen to preach the gospel and you were chosen to help people find salvation, but you do not need to be qualified. You just need to believe in Jesus and start. Paul started immediately and you can too. And I know my version, my, my story is probably different to yours, but this is one of the times that I did not feel qualified. I came back from, you know, New Zealand and a year later, I said yes to helping lead the kids ministry in my head. And then we were at Pastor Robin Sonia's house and Pastor Sonia was talking to us about doing our Alpha Crucis and that we would be pastors and that I was just like, wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> Walked out of the house and I, Isaac and I looked at each other and we were like, well, we're not, we're not quite qualified for this, are we? Um, but Jesus just needed our yes. And then a year later, I was comfortable doing one day a week for kids' church, doing a few days reception, you know, studying. And then there was an opportunity to lead the scripture team, the primary scripture team. And there were names being thrown around and conversation was there and I was just in the background. And then I just felt really compelled to go in and say, well, you know what, why don't, why don't I do it? Like, I'll put my name up for the, you know, job. I've never led, I never taught a scripture class before. That was my qualification. That was my resume. I've never taught a scripture class before, but I'll lead the scripture team. And, and that sounds like a plan. Um, <laughs> you know, Jesus just needs your yes. And the fact is that that was the beginning of 2020, just before all the scripture classes were stopped. And so those three days that I was able to work for church, I was able to help build kids ministry and then build the scripture team at the end of the year as well. You know, your qualification in preaching the gospel is, is not something that you find. You have a story of how Jesus transformed your life and that's all you need to get started with. Yeah, Paul had a story of how Jesus transformed his life and that's how he started. So it's enough of a place to start from. We just need to open our eyes and see our identity. You know, we don't want to just sit in the mirror and see our, you know, pimple or the hair that's out of place or the eyebrow or whatever you see. I want you to see that you were chosen. You want to look in the mirror and you want to know that you were empowered and that it's not from you. 
is because of Jesus. That that's why that's in your mirror. That's why that's in your mirror. It's not, it's not what you see. It's what's in your mirror because of Jesus. We need to look into the mirror and we need to know that when we look in there and we see our identity the way Jesus has it for us, that that's going to empower us to be moved to start to speak about the gospel. You'll be ready to go. Not from training, although training is good and learning is good. Not from qualifications, although go for it, learn. But from knowing that Jesus has chosen you and empowered you. And it's not from someone telling you, hey, you should preach the gospel. Or it's not even from someone giving you a platform. It's from you going, Jesus, how can you use me? And where can I say yes to today? So where are you going with the gospel for yourself? Paul said, in Acts chapter 9, it said he gets right to work, wasting no time, preaching in the meeting places that Jesus was the son of God. So who in your workplace knows the love of God? How are you different? What do you do to stand out? And ministry isn't just limited to church. And I realize that my example is different from many people. So where are you at? Minister there. Both in church, find a place to serve, but also during the week and during your life. You were chosen and empowered to share the gospel today, now, for all of those who are lost, for everyone who in your own city doesn't actually know about God. Maybe you work full-time or part-time, minister there. Maybe you're studying or at school, minister there. Maybe your parent, minister there. Get right to work, waste no time. Tell people that Jesus is the son of God. But maybe you have time during the week to volunteer. Use that time, minister there. You are chosen. You are empowered. Right now, right where you are at, just say yes. Because your qualifications, they don't actually matter to God. He just needs your yes. And so we're going to look at just a video of my sister. It's a bit of a Parker family affair today. <laughs> she shared last Sunday, uh, last Saturday morning at the women's breakfast about how she ministers where she's at during the week. And maybe scripture is a place that you would like to serve and minister to because there are kids in high school and there are kids in primary school that need to know about Jesus. And so let's just watch the screen. Thank you. So I've been teaching scripture for a very long time, on and off, um, and I think the thing that I love about teaching scripture is that I can just do it in any stage of my life. Um, so I've done it through my uni studies, I've done it with my babies, and they're still my babies, they, I drag them along with me, and <laughs> they can often be the naughtiest children in the room, um, while I'm trying to teach other children about the love of Jesus. <laughs> Um, while I'm glaring at them at the back of the room. Um, uh, And so the only time really that I haven't taught scripture was when I was teaching full-time before I had Amelia. Um, So I I just love the fact that I can just go into schools and it works with my lifestyle and and it's not hard. I think that's the thing that I love about it. It's about telling kids how much Jesus loves them and sharing stories with them and being really honest with them. Um, And so... You know, it's if you've ever considered teaching scripture, um, do it because we're we're running short on teachers. 
Um, COVID has really thrown a spanner in the works with teaching scripture, but like I said, it's the only state in Australia where we can still do it. And I think that that's such a great privilege and we don't want to lose that. Um, So I guess for me, last year I was teaching, I've taught in lots of schools around Penrith, but last year I was teaching at York Public School, which is just in South Penrith. And there was a little boy um, who, he was probably about eight or nine, we were teaching a year three, four class um, with your sister, Eva, and um, you could tell he was the naughty kid, Um, you know, being a teacher. I looked at him and I went, yeah, you're the naughty kid. (laughs) Um, I'm married to a naughty kid, Um, so I know what the naughty kid looks like, Um, but... (laughs) This little boy, even though he, you know, can't sit still and the teachers are, you know, tapping him on the shoulder and telling him to be quiet and telling him to sit straight and all of those things, he was so desperate to know about God. And, you know, as the weeks went on and he started to get to know Eva and I, um, he would become more bold and he would ask questions and, you know, he's like, how do I be good enough to to go to heaven? And um, I wasn't going to cry. Anyway, um, COVID hit and we didn't get to see this little boy again and he was so ready to know about Jesus and I went to school at Glenmore Park two weeks ago when I started working there again and that little boy is at my school now. And I can't tell him about Jesus because my job does not let me tell him about Jesus. He needs to know about Jesus. And the only way that I can tell him about Jesus is if he comes and he finds me and he asks me. But I don't teach his class. I don't have a lot to deal with him. And I'm stuck. And I don't get to bring him Jesus. And that breaks my heart. Because I have seen kids who've gone to our scripture classes go and tell their friends. And those friends who aren't meant to be in our scripture classes sneak in. And they are desperate to know about Jesus. Scripture is not hard. You don't need to know everything. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to tell them that Jesus loves them. And you have to be willing to tell them your story. So if you've ever wanted to be a scripture teacher, go be a scripture teacher for me at my school. Because I can't be a scripture teacher at my school. And there's a little boy and hundreds of other little boys and girls who need to know about Jesus. Amen.